0: Welcome to the British Broadcast, The Big Black, The Boozy Book Club, with Sam and Ethan. Perfect. <laughs> I don't know what wow. went wrong, but it works mm. now. Mm. We did it. Maybe we maybe it out. was,
1: um, I feel like that happened last time I tried to start on my computer and then moved to my phone. I don't know, maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know what that has anything to do with it, but
0: Oh, no, I just clipped my fingernails, and now I can't open my beer. Uh, Uh-oh. Hang on. Hang on. I'm going to – well, this is uh, – I'm just going to use the part of the nail clipper. Not the part that clipped my nails. I'm not gross. <laughs> but uh, there we go. So what are you drinking, my friend?
1: I am drinking Forgotten Boardwalk Wild IPA.
0: Right on. That sounds delicious. Is that a That's full pretty pint? Good.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting flavor. I mean, one day I'll have to pick some up so you can try some.
0: But sounds uh, like it's right up my alley.
1: It's a, uh, they're a Jersey, they're a Jersey brew, Cherry Hill, New Jersey.
0: What's the percentage on that?
1: Uh, seven.
0: Seven percent? Not bad. I actually don't know the percentage on mine because it doesn't say, but I too am also drinking a pint of an IPA. It's called Chasing Paper. I would assume that means money, since the background is all dollar dollar bills, y'all.
1: Mm. And
0: uh, this is by 18th Street Brewery. And it is some percentage of alcohol that is certainly greater than zero. And uh, it's quite a refreshing beverage.
1: Or they think, scammed uh, you, and it's actually zero, and now you and think it's ac- you're getting but drunk. It's
0: actually, it's actually just O'Doul's in a can. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so definitely do do as I said. Ethan, and uh, <laughs> take a, a nice aesthetic. I picture. did maybe maybe with the books. That's what uh, I didn't. Now. I didn't do it
1: with the books, um, but I did it on my nice little uh, table in my my office area.
0: That's fine. I got a little image with all of the all of this week's discussion. Um, but before we get into that, how are you doing, my friend? How was your week?
1: It was good. It was a good. I had a, a short week. Um, I was off on Friday. Mm-hmm. Which was quite nice.
0: Mm. Nice, nice, nice. Relaxing. Uh, relaxing day. How was the? Uh, y'all, y'all went down to the uh, boardwalk, right?
1: Yes, we did. We did the did beach and then the boardwalk, and it was a good time. Good time. It was a very get, good time.
0: you'll get swasty.
1: Shwa- shwa- uh, not at the beach, but like when we went uh to the boardwalk after, we had a couple Indeed. drinks. Indeed. And that was I, a good uh, time.
0: Yeah, I missed out on We're, that unfortunately, but um, we missed you greatly. I appreciate that, but I did, I did slightly make up, make it up for myself today and I went to the beach. Nice. And I, finished, I finished my books on the beach, um,
1: which was, today nice. was just as good of a beach day as yesterday. It
0: was fucking sweltering, my friend. Well, yeah, it was uh, really but, hot today, but thank, thankfully the ocean was bone chillingly cold. So <laughs> thanks, thanks specific heat of water. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was quite refreshing and I, uh. I finished my short little makeup books for our for our transgression last week, or last episode, for being late and not nice. finishing my book then. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, I think I might have caught a little too much color in some spots, even though I did uh, slather mm. myself. Well, okay, I, I won't lie, I didn't really slather myself in sunscreen, but I did apply it twice over the course of four hours. That probably wasn't enough, though.
1: I think I put it on three times, and I still got a little crispy on my shoulders and knees, which are just like two Your spots knees. there. Your
0: knees? Interesting. Yeah, you know really what? Means- it burned on my knees. Maybe it was just
1: the the way I was sitting was pulling my shorts, like, above the knee. Mm. So, like, I was sitting, you know, I don't really, like, I'm not, like, a tanner. Like, I don't lay out in the intention of getting tan. But, oh, I like, do. Just the, I love The way I, I was I sitting, that. I guess, just got my knees a little crispy. I put a lot of sunscreen on them, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess it just happened. Mm. Such is life.
0: Such is life. And those UV rays, my friend.
1: That's right, uh, and there was not a cloud in the sky. The yeah, there was barely days. anything.
0: There was barely anything today, so I I was melting. It was mm. boiling outside, absolutely mm-hmm. sweltering, as I said. Um, not really much else has gone on, so I mean, I don't, you know. Hopefully, the week was relaxing for you. Shall we get what? into uh the boogie books?
1: Let's get into the boogie books.
0: <laughs> I did say boogie books, but sure, boogie books works just fine. I need to put uh, more. Em- obviously, I need to put more emphasis. <laughs> um, I'll just talk with the weird drawl for the rest of it if you want. I think you just um, that just
1: makes you sound drunk. That wasn't even does. a drawl. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, yeah, you know, a drunken drawl.
1: A drunken uh, drawl.
0: Yeah, something like that. Alright, so uh I'm just gonna start off with the last little bit of the universe, because I finished that um earlier last week because I nice. finished it by the time we uh recorded that episode. Right. Uh, the Universe by Isaac Asimov, uh, from whom I've borrowed from you another book, specifically about the star Alpha Centauri, the closest one to us, other than, you know, the one we all know and love. Um, but yeah, so I, I, there's not really much else to say about it because I mean, it you know, it was as I said, a collection of the development of knowledge in astronomy um, over the course of the last two thousand years. Um, but I just thought it was funny because because you know, in 1966 when the book was released. All the stuff that we knew we didn't know before that was the same, right? So him telling me about when we realized that, you know, there were other galaxies in the 20s, that was still true in the 60s, that that happened in the 20s, right? So that's not new. What was interesting was when it gets to things that we have now figured out that he didn't know about. Because he mentions... We're getting this really, really pinpoint-sized radio source in the middle of the M87 galaxy that we can't explain. And it seems really strange. And now we have the picture of the black hole that's at the center of it, which nice. is kind of crazy. So it's like, you know, the entire time i am he's like lecturing me, like blah, 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 you know, like all of these things that we've figured out. And this is the order it happened in. And it's all been an amazing discovery. But then I don't know something and I can stare at the book with a with a with a smug smirk on my face and say, hmm, but I do, Mr. Asimov. I do. <laughs> And that's and that's all I had to say about that. So why don't you tell me about, uh, you know, a little a little something you read?
1: Uh, the first thing that I read was *Cat's Cradle* by Kurt Vonnegut. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. That was hilarious.
0: I mean. And that's it. Next book? No, I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> I mean the 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 humor
1: is just like he has such like a, so, he's so witty, um, that it kind of just like the absurdity of the story that he's telling in the pace that it moves at and just like the silliness of it is mm-hmm. just like, I can't help but laugh.
0: What's like the, the gist.
1: So it's about this reporter who is basically writing about how the world ends. Oh, um, but he's writing about it. Like he tells you that from the beginning, He's like this is the story of how the world ends." So he is sent on this assignment to write a story about this scientist who was like an eccentric kind of weirdo. Uh, who worked on the Manhattan Project? I mean, he's a fictional character. He, he wasn't real or anything like that. But um, super eccentric guy, and like he has like these eccentric children, and just like the way that the people like the he runs into people and the conversations he has with the people um, is just so funny. Uh, like it, it talks a lot about. Like, there's a part where he goes to a country that is kind of like a banana republic sort of situation. And one of the...
0: Like the department store.
1: Yes, exactly like the department (laughs) store. It is run. There's clothes everywhere.
0: Can I get a Um, net medium?
1: (laughs) But um, the way that the story just, like... I don't know. I I really recommend it to anybody because the chapters are super short. So it's like, it's not a hard thing to just like read a couple pages of a chapter and then be like, all right, that was funny. Let me just keep going. Like, I find that the books I enjoy the most sometimes have like short chapters because you can just kind of like, they're natural stopping points mm, that you yes. can just be like, all right, cool. I'm done for a minute. But then also if you're like, hey, I got five minutes to kill, let me just read a couple pages. you like, you'll, you progress through it so much faster.
0: I agree. It's almost like, uh, somehow it's like, it's, it's a momentum builder. Right, mm-hmm. it's like ah, that I love that the last page has this big gap on it. Well, I can just fall right into the next one, then, can't I? It's like you know, it's just somehow somehow it 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 it's, it makes it easier to see that there's there's the 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 little ending page of the chapter. You know, I, I like yeah. I like getting to it, and then it's like all right, well, all right, on to the next one. You if you insist, book if you insist.
1: And you would um, very much like the um, like there's a religion in for this island. Mm -hmm. um and that the whole point of the religion is it's all like just lies like the whole thing is just lies meant to make people like Like, that's what it's like expressed purpose was like the guy who founded the religion was literally like yeah i'm just gonna lie to you uh and you're just gonna like find everything i say so prophetic and like uh profound and like he does sounds
0: like that that just sounds like Scientology. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. I mean, I, you know what? I wonder when this was written because I wonder if it was around the time Scientology was coming out. I wonder if that was like,
0: well, even on his L. radar. Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard was writing his books like he was. The people were starting to like get into Dianetics. I think in like the fifties. Okay. Well, this was sixties. This was written so in sixty three. You can look up Dianetics. Dianetics was published in. No, I, I want the I want the L. Ron Hubbard book. Come on. Uh, Dianetics was published in 1955. Mm. Really, really, it's that old, huh? Damn. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, yeah, he was a big, uh, big writer. I'm pretty sure most published author of all time. Yeah, probably. I think so. I mean, all of his books were rather short. But yeah. not,
1: not, not, uh, I, I, not fair when you uh, require all the people in your religion to uh, – your quote-unquote religion to buy Yeah, the well, well, no, no,
0: that's the selling of the book. I mean, he's just published so many goddamn books. Oh, yeah. Like, he's the most published author, I think, in, in history, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if you count each individual work as its own individual thing, as one generally does – um, you know, we can't, just because we disagree with him on most stuff doesn't mean, doesn't mean you can't count that numbers, n- that number. Uh, I don't know. what were we talking I, about? I, we were talking about Cat's Cradle, right? Like, uh, yeah. cause you said there was a religion of lies, right? So it's.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of tackles like the, this. he satires a lot of things. Like he satires, like, you know, uh, those kind of banana Republic, like strong arm banana Republic sort of things. Yeah. Um, just like the absurdity. Of like a religious institution that was kind of working in tandem with the regime to keep, you know, the people in poverty and yeah just like, just like, it was very funny to read, uh, especially because like the one that I had just finished reading, the Parable of the Sower, was kind of like a dark end of the world story. And this mm-hmm. was like such the opposite of it.
0: Okay, it still sounds pretty depressing, but it probably is like Kurt Vonnegut depressing. It's like, yeah,
1: it's like, well, I mean, it's like absurd because it's not, like, Parable of Sower is like, if I take the current conditions of the planet and I project into the future 30 years, what do I think could happen and how that would impact people for real? And Kurt Vonnegut is just like, I'm just going to take all these things and write a really fucking silly story about it. Mm. And uh, it it may have no bearing on the future at all because, like, the way the world ends is so silly.
0: I was going to say, I was going to ask, if you can do it without telling me how the world ends or if it does in the context of the book, like, what is the, what is, like, I guess, what's the context of the world ending? Like, is it, Um, is it, like, a doomsday prediction? Or or is this this person the only one that knows it's going to happen? No, no, no.
1: So it's nothing like that. What it is, is the uh so the father who he is sent on his first assignment to write a story about um he is like one of those like very eccentric genius type characters like that's who Mm -hmm. he's supposed to represent Mm -hmm. and the the whole point is like anything he gets his mind onto he just becomes like obsessed with so like People start asking him for like absurd things. Like so, the whole the whole thing that happens is like an army general uh, goes to him and says, "You know, my my troops are sick sick of getting stuck in the mud. Can you uh, make something, some sort of chemical that we could throw it in the mud and it just becomes solid ground, so that we don't have to like you know wade through the mud?" And everybody's just like, "Well, that's just absurd. That's impossible because you know uh, if that mud touches anything else, whatever that compound is, will just turn all other." liquid, solid, and it'll just keep going on in a chain reaction and then all the liquid on the planet will become a solid and then everybody will die.
0: And that's that's how the world ends?
1: And that's what the guy creates, is he like So basically... it's literally
0: it's literally like that shitty movie with uh, Colin Farrell, The Recruit. Have you seen that? The
1: Recruit?
0: It's got like, Al, I think it's got Al Pacino in it. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that one. Where everybody's like, like, like double crossing each other.
0: There everybody's double crossing each other. But the thing is like they've got this creation that turns all the water in the world into ice or some shit like that, and everybody yes. would die if it was released. I think it was called like Ice 10 or Ice Nine or something oh, like that. Oh
1: fucking that's that's literally what it's called in the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Ice Nine. That's hilarious. In, they literally in, in, just took it from that then.
0: In Cat's Cradle? That's what or it's it? called, a cat's cradle. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's it's so literally funny. called Ice Nine. You no, know, they took it right, dude, I bet if I look this up right now.
1: That, that is hilarious. So the Recruit,
0: 2003. Uh, okay, hang on, we gotta figure this out. The Recruit, 2003, okay, so I'm gonna look up Ice 9. Pretty sure it's Ice 9. Ice, not box, office, devices, Ice 9. Yup, wow, look at this. Okay, so it's funny that we're having this conversation uh because it says yeah specifically a highly sensitive computer virus ice 9 because it transmits via the electrical grid rather than telecommunications and is easily capable of disabling all electric devices on the planet instantaneously thus behaving similarly to the be- to the particle from the Kurt Vonnegut novel Cat's Cradle so in the in the book it you know in the book you read it turns all the liquids to solid in mm. in the movie the recruit i think it has more of like a an electronics you know, based analogy to that. Um, I don't know what that is, you know, because I've seen the movie once and it was mediocre. Um, right. But, but yeah, they, he, they, they took it right out of that. <laughs> that's funny.
1: Wow. What a good catch. That's, that's hilarious.
0: Thank you kindly. <laughs> <laughs> they should recruit me for paying attention to things, whatever that. Even uh, means.
1: Yeah. I mean, based on what he went through in that movie, I don't know if you want to be
0: recruited. No, 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 no. I don't really want to be, you know, singed by, Burning hot uh, steel wool or whatever the fuck it was when they like had him in the box. I don't know. It's a terrible movie. Um, anything else you'd like to say about the book? Any 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 gripes? Anything you didn't like about it? Or is this no? Another, I mean, I recommend it to anybody. Book.
1: I mean, it, it was it was fun. Like, I, I Ker has a, a great style that is just very easy and fun to read. Um, and they're like good short reads from the last two that I you know I did. Splatterhouse Five and yeah, both of them so are just I like I
0: agree from there. Yeah, that was a very
1: question. comical. Like the style is just very, it, you know, it's quick, it's fast moving. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's complete opposite of like a Hemingway, where Heming he spends a lot of time crafting like backstory and background and setting and all that kind of stuff and like details. A lot of lo- very detail oriented writer. Ivan gets not that, and but I enjoy both. Like they're both very fun to read.
0: Mm. Right on, well, I, I definitely have to check it out then, because, you know, I uh, I did love uh, Slaughterhouse Five. By the way, um, I've been making a point of watching like the movies mm. for the books that I've been reading. The movie for Slaughterhouse Five was absolute trash, well,
1: I mean, I, I feel like that would be a hard one to make, even Real if like, hard. You, even if you made it today, I feel like that would be a hard one to make,
0: yeah. like especially like capturing like...
1: the tone, the tone, yeah, of it oh, my God.
0: Just... The tone was entirely missed. The the like the whole Trout Famadorian thing, right, is, was just not well done. Like you don't. I feel even like you could any... do a good
1: cartoon of it. I you feel like that saying? would
0: be better.
1: Yeah. Like I feel like you could maybe do a cartoon because it has like that like late night Adult Swim kind of like comic absurdism to it that I feel right. like they could capture. But um, you know. I can't even imagine that as like a live action uh, it movie. It
0: was garbage. <laughs> well. Let's just put it that way. Nineteen seventy-two garbage. <laughs> it was not not well done, and and the 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 the, the uh, you know the the time slipping was just made it look like flashbacks, and a lot of the characters said like direct lines from the book as though they were just like like. Shoehorned in and just placed really awkwardly in like the dialogue, and it just didn't work. Like it just it was really. Do you remember? Okay. Do you remember the? Do you remember the part of the book where the one the one soldier who really hates uh, Billy Pilgrim, he yeah. says he's, he's mentioning how he got revenge on like a dog uh-huh, for biting uh-huh. him. In the movie, he says that directly to the other friend, that they after they've marched and he's got like the you know the crossbite on his feet he says yeah, that directly yeah. to the, he says that part to the other soldier while he's dying hmm. which just doesn't fit like i don't remember if that it I, 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 okay i guess i don't really remember exactly if that is exactly how it happened in the book but it just was really awkward and is not what you would expect someone to say to their dying friend because i mean he immediately is dead after he finishes that monologue about revenge against a dog
1: yeah no and that 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 seems oddly placed
0: that's real strange it was just very weird and i I don't. I don't recommend it to anyone. (laughs) Well, read the read the book. Read the book. Read the book. Fuck yeah, read the book. The book's much better. Um, What was the other thing you read? Oh yeah, I'm I'm good. We can move on. uh, Yeah, I spent the better part of this year and a little bit of the end of last year reading the reflections on the revolutions and the reflections on the revolution in France Mm -hmm. by Edmund Burke and Thomas Paine's much wittier rebuttal to that. Uh, the rights of man, because Edmund Burke, though he was a friend of Thomas Paine and to the burgeoning American colonies um, in in wanting their independence from England, he was against the French Revolution because for some reason he had this really... What does the word parochial mean again? It speaks the hell out of me. Okay, well let me just quickly see if I'm using this word correctly because I do want to sound smart.
1: <laughs> I want to sound smart after I just recorded myself
0: uh asking parochial ever <laughs> related to uh narrowly restricted and eh, not not the word I'm looking for um edmund burke had this perspective of like really being in favor of rights being established in the past and like not not right but like the 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 power overseen like he was really in favor he was a tory pretty much really in favor of like Uh, Like kind of
1: like uh, tradition dictates power.
0: Traditional, traditional, tradition dictates power, essentially. Um, Except he had these really strange, um, you know, outcroppings from that, you know, aberrations from that. Like he wanted the colony, the American colonies to be independent. Um, He was an abolitionist. uh, So was Thomas Paine. And they were good friends on those aspects. But then he vehemently, Thomas Paine vehemently disagreed with Edmund Burke on on the revolution in France. Um, which Edmund described as the most astounding occurrence in history or something like that. Um, and so Christopher Hitchens, one of my favorite authors, uh, may he rest nowhere. Um, he, we'll uh, say rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, or at know, least peace is, Jesus. P- rest in peace is, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just more, you know, evoking his his
1: i mean you already you already said may he rest nowhere i mean the the he doesn't exist he's not resting
0: he's dead i know whatever (laughs) My, my point was to really point in the direction of uh his atheism i guess um but yeah christopher hitchens great writer very very astoundingly uh well read and well written individual with a with a vocabulary that I've never had so much, like I've never had to look up so many words reading something as when I uh, read a Christopher. You Horses need to book. read
1: more uh, old philosophy then.
0: <laughs> I'm really all right, to be honest with you, but maybe. Um. So he wrote a book. So there was this series of like eight books called "Books That Changed the World," and there was one on the Bible, one on Das Kapital, one on uh, on War. One on on the uh, on the origin of species, uh, there was uh, the Wealth of Nations, the Quran, um, and they're all written by different people. But Christopher Hitchens did one on Thomas Paine's The Rights of Man, and described by the Los Angeles Times brief but potent, mixing biography, criticism, and philosophy. And uh, it's a, a a short little treatise on the Rights of Man, where he sort of you know. Uh, more or less agrees with Thomas Paine's perspective about how you know we should be we should be uh, allowing the generation that stands now to determine itself and not have it be based on you know the the whims and wills of long dead uh, anachronites if I can make up a word
1: that's uh, just incredibly radical
0: yeah right incredibly radical um, in fact the second part of the Rights of Man is essentially like a giant. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a, a guidebook to developing a welfare state because he lists out like, okay, we could be appropriating this much money for these people, this many for this, you know, every year until this age, and then they could take out of this fund this much every year until the day of their death, and we could support, you know, we could we could raise children out of poverty because of based on this population, you know, and this amount of taxation. Of course, that's all in the context of 17 and 1800s, uh, you know, England. But it's you know very forward thinking at least from my perspective, um, and so I, I I my my father who is very uh, interested in the founding fathers uh, I I made the point to say, wow dad you haven't read anything and everything that was ever written by or about the founding fathers because he claims or says that he has not read the rights of man and uh, I would say that he should uh, since um, ostensibly as a libertarian he's not in favor of a quote-unquote welfare state but uh well you know if the founding fathers are right about everything you know then he he must be right right um obviously they're not right about everything because some of them owned and fucked their slaves uh but that's not good so don't (laughs) do that don't don't do that um but yeah so now that i'm now that i'm off that stupid tangent um yeah christopher hitchens just writes really eloquently about the different aspects of Payne's life so um, he there's the chapters like pain in America, pain in Europe, not agony like P A I N E,
1: poorly poorly worded.
0: Well, yeah, but like, I mean, because, just put his first name for that. Exactly, <laughs> Thomas in America, Thomas in Europe. No, but like if if it was just pain without the e, which was originally <laughs> the spelling of his last name, this book would be enormous. <laughs> This, would, this book would be huge if it was just, like, the agony faced by the average person in America and in Europe. <laughs> like, no, no, definitely not. So, you know, like, his life in America, his life in Europe, Um, and then a, a chapter on part one and part two of The Rights of Man. The first one was actually dedicated to George Washington, and the second one, the Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, mm. because Lafayette. He, 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 he made an, an
1: appearance in Hamilton, I'm pretty sure.
0: Lafayette. He um he was really... um. Or Thomas Paine felt that Lafayette was sort of going to be the harbinger of the next, the next uh, iteration of of Franco government, you know, like because of the overthrowing of the monarchy. And he was actually he 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 more or less pulled. Okay, so do you remember how like do you remember when the revolution started <laughs> and like the British the British soldiers fired on those people in Boston? Yes, right? the Boston Massacre. John the Boston massacre and then John Adams defended those soldiers in court. Yes, yes. yes. I've seen so the series. Tom- I've seen the series. Exactly. Exactly. So Thomas Paine essentially did the same thing for King Louis. That's and ballsy. was like and, we're, and was like we really probably shouldn't kill him. Uh, because we probably shouldn't kill anybody. And he managed to convince a And few he people. clearly
1: he clearly won that that case.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he clearly won and then somebody slipped and pushed louis into the guillotine and but no uh he convinced a few people in like this this court of people i guess you would call it i don't know what else to call it there's probably some french word for it uh there were no goats
1: in this court uh
0: not that i'm aware of maybe a maybe maybe a maybe a hummingbird i'm not sure but uh (laughs) yeah so he managed to convince a few people but then uh the majority still made their call and uh it was off with his head but,, uh, yeah, I just think it's very well written. i think I think reading this book would sort of necessitate you reading the Rights of Man First. I definitely don't recommend anybody reads Reflections on the Revolution in France, not because I don't think you should read things that you disagree with. It's precise, you know, I believe precisely the opposite of that. But it's just so poorly written. Like, it's the most meandering, long run on sentence bullcrap ever. It's just so painful. he doesn't he doesn't say, revolution in france until page 86 whoa like it's just so ah oh, yes british you know long pontification meandering through the point i'm trying to make eventually getting to it thee thy thou pencil you know like it just really really protracted and tedious to read not to mention all of the latin allusions oh my god i literally had to look up a website that was like here's all the classical allusions in the reflections on the revolution in france translated into english so that took me a while um and the rights of man is just so much better written and is witty as fuck except when he gets to the part where he's like literally listing out financial things for like the welfare state part but you know that's 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 good in and of itself. It doesn't really you got need to be witty. Of numbers? What's up? You got bored of numbers? I, listen, when it's just lists of dollar amounts or poundage amounts, it's not really that interesting. But, yeah. um, and I just sort of trusted his math. I was like, all right, I'm just going to read through this. But yeah, he it's not really like, he doesn't say, as Christopher Hitchens points out, he doesn't say like, let's give everybody health care. Because that wasn't really a an idea at the time i guess not nor would i really want healthcare at that time i feel like i could i would be better off just roughing it
1: you got demons in your blood
0: yeah goodbye (laughs) i'm leaving (laughs) i'm gonna go live somewhere else now and die peacefully Um, we gotta cut your nipple
1: off bleed you a bit
0: oh my god um yeah so but he was like yeah thomas Paine wasn't really like about making a safety net it was more like lifting people out of poverty in a sense, which I don't think are necessarily the same thing because I think the safety net sort of implies like, okay, maybe you've fallen out of uh, quote-unquote favor with the financial world and you need help, right? This is saying, like, people born into poverty should not be expected to just you know, be ground to dust by the upper class. Pull right? themselves so up by
1: can... their bootstraps, Sam, come on.
0: Yes, exactly. The American um, dream. The American dram. Yeah, Um. and I What's kind of funny is there's some there's a poem at the end of this that I'd like to read because it's, it's neat. It's a very clever poem. So it says, and this is in the last, this is in the conclusion of the book, a couple pages before the end. In the year 1798, seeking to choke the influence of French and other revolutionary opinions in their own backyard, the British authorities jailed the radical Irish nationalist Arthur O'Connor. As he was being led away, O'Connor handed out a poem of his own composition that seemed to its readers like a meek act of contrition and a repudiation of that font of heresy, Thomas Paine. It reads, The pomp of courts and pride of kings I prize above all earthly things I love my country, the king, above all men his praise I sing The royal banners are displayed displayed, and may success the standard aid. I fain would banish far from hence the rights of man and common sense, confusion to his odious reign, that foe to princes Thomas Paine. Defeat and ruin seize the cause of France its liberties and laws. And then Hitchens goes on to say, if the reader will have the patience to take a pencil and take the first line of the first stanza and then the first line of the second stanza and then repeat the alternating process with the second, third, fourth lines each and so on, he or she will have no difficulty in writing out quite a different poem. And that one reads, the pomp of courts and pride of kings I fain would banish far from hence. I prize above all earthly things the rights of man and common sense. I love my country, the king, confusion to his odious reign. Above all men, his praise I sing, that foe to princes, Thomas Paine. The royal banners are displayed, defeat and ruin seize the cause, and may success the standard aid of France, its liberties and laws. And then Hitchens says, says, How much the British have suffered from their fatuous belief that the Irish are stupid. (laughs) I love that Uh... man. And uh, I only wish he were around today to excoriate the the happenings of the day. I would I would love to hear what he has to say about it, but we haven't such luck, and reality is not on our side in that regard. Boo-hoo-hoo.
1: Hopefully he would rescind his support for uh, the Iraq War based on the... Well,
0: that's for a little later, Ethan. Why don't you tell me what's the next outcomes. on your docket?
1: Uh, well, the next thing that I did two short ones that I'm going to count only as one, because the Old Man of the Sea was only like 120 pages. I think yeah, 125 pages. But then I also read the graphic novel My Friend Dahmer, which you were yeah. So, kind so let's of just me. let's
0: just alternate between them because I still have two more little ones. So, sure. Uh, so uh, I did
1: I did know. My Friend Dahmer first. Um, I really enjoyed the art style. It gave me um, like a vibe of like the, the old what
0: gave you the creeps?
1: No, well I mean it, it is like a little creepy the style. But it gave me, like, the vibe of, like, old skater, um, like, drawing style. Like, the Tony Hawk. I don't know if you were into, like, Tony Hawk or any of that kind of stuff. But, like, that kind of style. No, but I know, what, I know what style you're
0: referring to. It's, like, really yeah. – uh, it's, it's sort of – it almost looks rudimentary. It's almost intentionally yeah. rudimentary.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed the art style. And the story was, was interesting. Because, I mean, I'd seen the movie. This is one of the few ones that I've actually haven't seen the movie. I saw the movie – Maybe when it first came out on like you know uh, DVD and cable and stuff like that, um, I watched it. Um, What's
0: a cable? Oh. oh. but um,
1: <laughs> it was a it was a fun movie, especially because like, but I think the 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 comic is a little better, or the graphic novel is a little better explaining. Like, I enjoyed his um like introduction and end bit where he kind of like explains a little bit more. Um. You know, and, and the amount of research that he did his himself to like kinda get a little more background about because I'm sure he didn't know anything about Dahmer's home life until like much, yeah. much later.
0: Yeah, that's the thing about the movie, right? Like we're seeing it from Dahmer's perspective in the movie. Right. So it's like it it doesn't exactly match, but it like you wouldn't want to just watch a movie and watch, you know, John Backdurf go home, you know. <laughs> right, right. It's <laughs> like in his house. Yeah, so go on.
1: Well, I just I thought it was um like it's it's so it's almost sad. Like I mean, the whole thing is sad, right? Because it's obviously Jeffrey Dahmer. You know how the story ends and progresses. But I think when you know with a father story, you kind of definitely get like one side of the home life glimpse, but you don't really get that kind of home life slant from what maybe. Uh, like a teenage Dahmer would have been experienced. Like, just the way that the artist and the author contrasted, like, he went home and this was his home life versus, like, Jeffrey went home and this was his home life.
0: Yes. You know, like, his very, mom. Very loud and contentious and. Very and loud, is, you know. But...
1: Yeah, like, his mom's arguing with his father either on the phone or, like, in person. And then she's having, like, those fits. And, like, you know, these are the things that he he went home and dealt with. And, um, you know, his, you know, I feel like after I read a father's story, like you definitely get like, there's like this absence that his father like left, you know, his father tried in the way that he knew how to be a father. But like, obviously for somebody who was struggling, like Jeffrey Dahmer was, it, it was just so below what was needed.
0: Oh, well well below what was needed. Like, so
1: be- yeah, like... But, um, I mean, it was just... It was interesting to kind of get, like, that... That, like, um... Like, I think it it would be an interesting thing if, like, you didn't even know that it was Jeffrey Dahmer, like, when you first read it or watch it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, like, you kind of just see it as, like, this, like, oh, it's, like, one of those like teen movies, and, you know, you almost feel bad for Dahmer because everybody kind of, like, thinks he's, like, a spaz, but, like, he's funny, so they kind of, like use him as like this entertainment sort of thing but they don't really like hang out with him because he's weird and then he becomes an alcoholic so it's even weirder um and they're kind of like just, just it, using them for laughs and that's like it if friend. that was like a yeah like if that was like a real teen drama like you would be like oh my god this poor kid these kids are assholes and then you like in your brain can think that but then realize who this person is and like what happens and you're just like yeah. oh shit
0: Damn!
1: <laughs> like you get like a whole, it, it kind of like immediately slants it in a different way. Cause like, I'm sure I, I think he that would
0: be, I think that would be amazing if it could be pulled off. The problem is a, it's already been done with right. Dahmer. But, right, but right. like what, what's getting people to watch that movie? It's the title.
1: No, I'm not. I, what I'm saying is like, if you can like, while you're reading or watching just like momentarily erase the fact that this is Jeffrey Dahmer from your brain. Yes. Then like it, it take the whole movie takes on like a total. It's like those those YouTube videos where they like take uh, like movies like Elf and they make they're like this is what it would be like if it was a horror movie. You know, it kind yeah. of takes. It, My favorite like, is if, Shining. Yeah, The Shining is hilarious. Um, but like, if they kind of did the same thing with My Friend Dahmer and they were like this, is, like a team, team kind of like bullying flick in a weird way, and then yeah. it just like
0: not at the end of your movie.
1: Not yeah, exactly like that kind of thing. <laughs> That's all I got to say about it. I really enjoyed it. I thought the art the art was really cool, and uh, I'm glad that he expanded from his original shorter version that he did back in the day.
0: Indeed, I uh, I thought his his little. I always find it funny when, like, okay, so when uh, reading the uh, the little outro to the comic book, right where 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 Derf back Derf is, uh, that's just his nickname to anybody that's listening. His name is John. But, uh, he, um, he he goes into, like, a a point about how, like, he, he, uh, he denounces what Jeffrey Dahmer did. It's like, does he think that, like, I guess people might come away from him writing this comic, this graphic novel, as just a cash ploy? Like, is that what people think? Like, because I feel Um... like like society society's already made their determination about this person, right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to like moralize I think there's it, right? You can just, you can just write your graphic novel. We know, we know you don't want him to murder people.
1: Right. I think that there's, um, well, the father did the same thing in his. He was like, listen, I'm not doing this for a cash grab. I'm not like, you know, try to make money off the suffering, uh, you know, that my son inflicted. He's like, I'm just trying to explain my story. um, But in that, that world of, like, you know, true crime, um, I think that there's there's kind of this perception that the people who make money off of explaining, whether it's, like, not, like, glorifying, because there's obviously, like, shows like uh, Forensic Files and stuff like that that talk about these crimes, but there is that, that constant um, accusation that they're basically just, like, kind of trying to make money off of the suffering of other people, like this tragedy, you know I mean, there what I'm is, saying? There is
0: some truly really horrifically salacious shit out there that just exploits there, the, the, yeah. the horrific nature of these crimes. But I don't know if you're like this person went to school with this guy and is a graphic, like a comic artist, like I don't know. I just whatever. It's it, it's a it's a small point. I feel like it was crazy. just like, what what?
1: Oh okay. no, I, was just, I, you know. I feel like it's just like <laughs> one of those things that um. People feel kind of compelled, like the people who truly aren't in it just to like make money off this tragedy, they they often feel like compelled to just be like, listen, I'm not trying to make money off this tragedy and bring up the pain of other people, you know, because I just read the job and anything and he he pretty much said the same thing in there. He's like, I'm not trying to like glorify this. He's like, I'm trying to explain, you know, things that I think and understand about this case that maybe the common person doesn't understand because of the way that the media can pervert a lot of information that you might not know this side of certain things from, like, my angle of what I know based on, you know, my access to information. And then that's, I think, what he was doing. He was like, listen, I knew Dahmer when he was in high school, you know? I knew what that environment was like. And that's what I can share with you uh, because most people do not have that information. Say with the father. Like, I think that that accusation just gets thrown around, especially for... You know, when there's like a tragedy like that.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I'm um, just saying. Anything? Anything you didn't like about it?
1: Um, no. I mean, I, I, I feel like it was. A, it's a graphic novel. I mean, like, I wasn't like going in there being like, oh, I'm gonna learn so much new information. It's not, you know. Like, that's why I read the Job and anything because I was like, this is the yeah. detective. He had all this access to files and information and spoke to all the detectives that were on the scene at the time and spoke to all these people like, this is what I'm going to get new information from. I didn't go into this graphic novel being like, I'm going to get more information, but it was fun. Like, it was, a, it was a good, it was well drawn. It was, you know, the story, the, the story was well done. And, um,
0: yeah, I, I graphic
1: novel wise, it was fun.
0: Very well I done. I appreciate
1: the... Uh, the recommendation and letting me borrow it.
0: Yep, now give it the fuck back. So, uh, <laughs> next next would be, on my list, would be another Christopher Hitchens piece, which is from 2003. It's a collection of articles that he wrote for Slate Magazine regarding the U.S. invasion of the country of Iraq. It's called... USA,
1: oh, U.S. i okay I'm sorry. You bet.
0: It's called... It's called a long... <laughs> It's called a Long Short War, the Postponed Liberation of Iraq. And on the cover is the image of the uh, statue of Saddam Hussein being pulled down by a crane with onlookers uh, in front of a mosque. You can see the minaret. It all looks very, you know, historical. Uh, but this was in 2003, and just to give some context here, Christopher Hitchens has been was like a journalist for like most of his life writing constantly um and he he would do a lot of you know in the field journalistic work like he went to iraq in the 70s and plenty of other countries around the world to to investigate certain or not to investigate but to 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 uh to publish things about the goings-on in those countries namely against despotic leaders uh that was sort of his his bread and butter and so he had a particular uh hatred for Saddam Hussein because of the way he treated his, uh, constituency, um, and, you know, his invasion of Kuwait, and then after having been forced to leave, igniting their oil fields and spilling it into the Gulf, thus sort of destroying a lot of the environment, uh, with regards to, you know, ease of access, drinking water, things like that, so, you know, I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind that Saddam Hussein was a really vile piece of shit, um, you know, would gas people in his own country, would, would, his sons were just sadistic cunts that would murder people at their own wedding and just real, really just fucked up shit. Um, but the, the whole context of this little book, that's a collection of his articles that are in favor of American regime change in Iraq, is based on the entirety of uh, Saddam Hussein's really—I um, don't know what the word would be— uh, despotic is the only thing that I can think of. Um, Really just... Sadistic is another thing, I guess. Sadistic rule over the country of Iraq. Um, Because there's certainly a lot to say about it. Um, But in in this book, he's not... He's not... he, He never really argued for, like, we need to be doing what America's doing now, which is, like, you know, staying there and exploiting their resources and using it to enrich uh you know the po- you know line the pockets of executives at defense contractors and things like that right that's not the argument here the argument here is as a as a as a globe we need to address human rights abuses where we see them and actually depose the people that are committing them as a as a collective um, because he was a he was a socialist in his youth. I don't know that he wasn't in his older age, uh, if you can call dying at sixty one older age. But um, elderly, you know, elderly, not youth, um, not youth. And just to give you some perspective on like the the the, the tone of this collection, I'm going to read you some of the chapter titles. Um, One of the, and he's, I don't know, he's just very clever with his things like this. So the first one is Machiavelli in Mesopotamia. The case against, the case against regime change in Iraq. Which I, which I think is just a witty title. But yeah, so that's sort of the start. The next is Armchair General. The ugly idea that non-soldiers have less right to argue for war. And so these are short little articles, right? That would have just, that were like weekly articles in Slate magazine. So it's not like a book by any means, but it's just sort of written week by week, starting in November 7th of 2002 and ending in uh, April 18th of 2003. So I think that would have been right around when Saddam Hussein was captured, I think. I don't know when he was hanged, but uh, yeah, another one would be like, what's a good one? Let's see. Anti-Americanism, varieties right and left, foreign and domestic. Uh, Prevention and preemption. When is starting a war not aggression? Uh, Let's see. What's another one? Uh, Not talking Turkey. An ally we're better off without. So that would be like um, addressing the fact that Turkey I believe had had certain qualms uh with Iraq but or maybe or maybe it was the other way around I don't I don't quite remember the details but it's like you know he's talking about how Turkey has plenty of uh you know skeletons in their closet um and and aren't, don't really have a place to to speak on such things you know given like not not necessarily speak on such things but you know their perspective isn't isn't necessarily welcome given their Armenian genocide and plenty of other uh I would say large-scale crimes that that country has committed. Uh, In fairness, of
1: every country that committed large-scale crimes, couldn't
0: speak. I, and nobody would be speaking. I would. I. I. I agree. I agree. I'm simply relaying. Uh, a, a good. Uh, a good. A good one. Pious nonsense. The unholy Christian case against war. Uh. So yeah. I mean, I recommend reading it just to just to get like, just to have the perspective. I don't know. It's just well written as anything that Christopher Hitchens writes is. Um, I don't necessarily know that I'm convinced that America should have been involved, but the idea, you know, he he takes a lot of jabs at what he calls the peaceniks, which I guess is like, you know, p p e a c e n i k, which is like a play on beatnik, I guess. But like, you know, the people that would do the do the the protesting, you know, no war in Iraq, no war for oil, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, he he brings up some like reasonable like responses to those things where 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 it all really gets summed up as into what i said before previously about how it's like we shouldn't as a nation turn aside when you know turn a blind eye to really horrific treatment of other people around the world um because like i said i don't think he was arguing for enriching defense contractors and maintaining a presence there Forever, the whole point of this book is arguing for the deposing of Saddam Hussein. So right, right. That's the that's the that's the that's the gist of it. And um, you know, I I enjoyed reading it because I enjoy reading pretty much anything that Hitchens has written. Um, I don't know that I necessarily agree that the U.S. should have been involved, simply because of I have the hindsight of seventeen years beyond this book being written and nine more years after uh, Christopher Hitchens's unfortunately early death. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed reading it just as a, as a piece of journalism and uh, I don't really have much else to say about it.
1: Yeah. The very, I mean, I would have to read it. I'm actually, I actually would like to read it just to see what his arguments are.
0: I think you would have
1: a hard time convincing me that uh, at least the intervention that we, um, we did, you know, even if, and are doing, even if it is as, uh... Like, I, I don't buy even the argument that we went in for the right reasons. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I know. Um, So, and then if we're gonna really, like, I, I uh, definitely agree with him on the, uh, the principle that we shouldn't stand by while those things happen. The problem is, like, if we're not going to stand by while those things happen, there's a lot of fucking countries we're gonna have to start having to invade. Uh... And that's how you basically get just another world war.
0: Yep. And he uh, he makes he makes an argument as to why he thought that Saddam Hussein was a particularly sinister example of that. And so he felt that this was an you know like this was this was the one to do. Um, I think was yeah. his perspective on it. Um so you feel free to read it. Uh, it's Yeah, it would definitely be an interesting to read. A, I mean it's essentially a pamphlet. I mean it it comes out to like a hundred pages and it's a collection of maybe 20 or so, uh, 20, maybe 25 little articles that he wrote over the course of a few months in 2002 and 2003.
1: I would be interested to read that and then contrast it with uh, Imperial Life in the Emerald City, which details like uh, the soldiers that were in like the kind of safe part of Iraq after the post invasion. Uh, and who's that guy? Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I'm gonna butcher this name, Rajiv. Chandra. Sekaran,
0: Chandra Chandra Sekar, or no? No Sekaran,
1: yeah, Sekharan. something like that. Okay, yeah, well, something like I, that. I'd
0: like to read that too. So maybe we can trade.
1: Yeah, we should definitely do that. That would be that would be a fun thing. Not for the next one because I already have I already started my my one for for next time and then I have my follow no, up. Mean,
0: I I but... just mean when when we see each other next, we can. Yeah,
1: we can yeah, see. yeah. We should definitely do that.
0: All right. What was the uh, next short one that you read? Wasn't it uh, Hemingway?
1: Yeah, I read *The Old Man and the Sea* by Hemingway, and that was a fun little, fun little in one the sea about or
0: and the sea.
1: And the sea. Ah, okay. The Old Man and the Sea, which follows a uh, an aging Cuban fisherman as he goes out there to catch a giant marlin that drags him out to sea uh, oh. for days while he holds the line. Uh, because he hasn't caught a fish in 85 days. Uh, so this is like, he needs to catch a fish, because he's like, you know, a peasant farmer, or a peasant fisher, not farmer. If he was a farmer, he wouldn't need to catch a fish, but... Yeah, right? Um, so he's out Why there. What?
0: Why won't my wheat grow in this ocean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he goes out there to catch this fish, and he hooks, like, this giant marlin, and just pulls him for, like, two days, deep and deep out into the ocean. Uh, and he finally... Manages to... Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but he catches the fish. Uh, But then on his way back, he's attacked by sharks. Um, And dies? No, 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 no. But the fish gets eaten. The sharks come for the fish. And the whole fish gets eaten, so he finally makes it back to shore. He's exhausted. He just collapses on his way back to his little hut. And uh, everybody, like, finds the carcass of the fish. And they're like, it's the biggest fish we've ever seen. Like, how did he catch this on his own? Um, it's, it's just like a, it was like a fun story. Cause it was written like a short epic, like nice. So it was like fun. It was like a fun little read. Cause it was also short and the old man is just like funny. Cause he's like talking to himself. He's like in the middle of catching this fish. And he's like, I wonder how the Yankees are doing. And you're just like, bro, really? what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: he's I like, mean, I guess your mind would be elsewhere when you have no, like immediately noticeable visual surroundings. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. you're just looking at a line going into the water. Well, yeah, he's yeah. like
1: trying to he's trying to like figure out how he can like lay down while holding the line so that he can like get a little bit of sleep. Um, That's funny. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun it was a fun little book. I'm glad I read it because Hemingway is just so like I said the difference between Vonnegut and Hemingway is like Hemingway spends a lot he spends a lot of time on detail, so he like really paints a a, a detailed picture of like what this old man is going through. Um, and it, it's, I, I, I mean, if, especially if you haven't read Hemingway before, it's like a fun, it's a fun, like introduction to like his style and, um, his pacing in general. And, um, it's, I mean, it's he's, funny that
0: you, it's, it's funny that you specify that detail. Cause I remember reading about him on his Wikipedia article and it, there's a quote from him of saying something about not needing to say things that can be inferred. Yeah, he definitely is good at that. Okay, so, so that seems counter to that, though.
1: No, like, he, he, he says what you need to know.
0: Oh, I see, okay.
1: You understand what I'm saying? Like, he's, he's, yes. he says exactly what you need to know to, like, build the picture in your
0: brain. Yeah, I suppose if you're out on the ocean, you probably need more detail just to make this
1: Well, it's, it's it's brilliant because he, like, if, it's like one of those things where, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know anything about fishing. Right? Like, I've been fishing, like, once in my life. I find mm-hmm. it incredibly boring. But he mm-hmm. took a thing that I already find incredibly boring and know very little about, and he, like, explained it so fucking well and made it so interesting. Like, it was, like, this battle between a man, an old man who just, like, wants to catch this fish to break his bad luck streak. And, like, this giant fish that he can't even see for the first, like, three days that he's trying to catch it. And he so just, he like... not even
0: know it's a marlin.
1: He doesn't know it's a Marlin until like the hundredth page. Oh my God. So like, he's just being dragged in this tiny little boat by this fish. And he's like, how fucking big is this fish, man? This shit is dragging me out to sea. He's like, he's got to be getting tired soon. I'm exhausted. Yeah. And you're, he's like, I can hold on longer to the fish cause I'm smart. And the fish just doesn't know what's going on. Like he doesn't, he doesn't know. Hmm. But That's, uh, uh, an yeah.
0: Interesting I, premise. I, I, I might have to read that. That's a fun. I mean, thing.
1: it's, it's such a fun little read. It only took me, like, two days to do. Um, mm. But, I mean, it's, like, anything that you could take... Like, obviously, the last one I read, For Whom the Bell Tolls, like, I was already interested in uh, the Spanish Civil War. So, like, that, for me, was, like, just interesting of, in and of itself. But I have almost no fishing interest. I have no interest in it whatsoever. But he made it interesting. He made it, like, this battle between man and nature. And,
0: uh... I dig just those like, kinds of stories.
1: yeah. I mean it, there's a reason it became like an instant hit when he wrote it.
0: Right on. Right on. uh right on indeed. The the last little short thing that I read was the 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 Tao of Pooh. Ah, yes. Pronounce it correctly. The How of Pooh, the Tao of Who? the Tao of Pooh, in which it is revealed that one of the world's greatest Taoist masters isn't Chinese or a venerable philosopher, but is in fact none other than that effortlessly calm, still reflective bear, A.A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. While mm. Eeyore frets, and Piglet hesitates, and Rabbit calculates, and Owl pontificates, Pooh just is. Um, yeah, so this was a cute little, um, little, little tome about the... Taoist perspective, because it's like a D and a T at the same time. That's mm-hmm. why it's sometimes spelled with a D and sometimes with a T. Uh, there's a follow-up book, actually, the, the I guess it would pronounce the T of Piglet, because it's the Tao Te Ching. Oh, uh, no, interesting. I didn't know
1: there was another one.
0: Yeah, so, you know, maybe he puts it from the perspective of the second, because there's, I, I imagine that, because uh, Tao is the way, I believe, and ta, which is the second, syllable in Tao Te Ching um, means something else entirely. <laughs> and, I it, <laughs> and I don't know what it means, but I imagine it's more effect, uh, evocative of Piglet's perspective than Winnie the Pooh's perspective. And you said you've listened to this on audiobook, right?
1: I did. I listened to it uh, on audiobook while I painted my house.
0: Nice. There's lovely little drawings in it. I think they're taken directly from one of the original, like a couple of the original books by A.A. A. Milne. Um, and it's a, yeah, it. You listen to it, so you know it's a it's a cute little. Uh, I guess I guess what it would what I would call it is it's like you're putting you're putting this philosophy through the through a filter of these characters that are familiar to people in the Western world, so as to maybe make it a little bit more um, palatable cool. palatable to those people.
1: It's to also. I good. will point out that the audiobook is super cute because the guy who reads it does like the voices of the characters. I was super just gonna ask. Cute.
0: I really wanted to know. Does he do it? So fucking does cute. He... Oh bother. That's awesome. Yep. It's um, so cute. Perfect. That's amazing. Um I love I love it it brought me back to like a bit of my childhood. Cause I remember was isn't there like there's like Winnie the Pooh movies, aren't there?
1: Uh, I believe there are, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I remember watching those as a kid and like Seeing that, seeing like the text reflect that exact personality of each of these characters, like brought me back to watching those when I was like a little kid. And so it was very, very nice to read. I read most of this on the beach today. Um, and then the, oh, that must have been relaxing. It was, yeah. Uh, directly following up a book about deposing Saddam Hussein. Really relaxing. Um, such is life. Such is life. Um, but yeah, so I so it uh, goes, as Vonnegut so would it, say. So it goes. Um, I thought it okay, so I thought it was a little. I liked how it was the 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 narrator was um, unnamed and it was just the person talking to the characters and wasn't really there so much as as just talking to the characters in some sense. Um, but I thought it was a little frenetic at times. Like some of the some of the things that were brought up were like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, there's one part where they introduce like a radio. And they turn on the radio and it's like 30,000 people have just died in five airplane attack or five airplane crashes at one time or something like that. And it's like, whoa, I guess we that means I shouldn't listen to the radio. That's (laughs) a—I guess that's a Taoist perspective, right? Don't listen to the radio. I don't know. But I just thought that kind of came out of nowhere. I don't really. It's very brief and sudden. I think the whole point is like, don't get hung up on the problems of the world. But like. Well, I guess I some of
1: it probably is a little forced, because, like, there's only so much uh, Taoist philosophy that you can get, like, you know, from actual Winnie the Pooh. You kind of got to throw in some wild real-life shit, or not, like, real life, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, there was
0: no, there was no, but, well, real life is a little loose here. There was no five-plane, 300,000 casualty accident in California in the 80s, you know? <laughs> That never happened. <laughs> if there were no three hundred thousand people that died, I think we would have probably learned about it. Um, it literally—I think it literally said three hundred thousand people. Like, damn, holy shit! Uh, That's but, a yeah, lot like I—that uh, is a lot of people. I just—I uh, don't know. I just really liked, you know, the the the. I wouldn't even call it passive. Like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, because passive sounds. Um, like uninvolved. Like the Taoist perspective is, you know, pretty much don't worry, be happy, you know, docile Perhaps. in a way, docile and and accepting of the way things are in, in in not in a way that not in a way that um is counter to good things happening, but, you know, simply not, you know, sweating the petty stuff, essentially right, uh, right. And that superimposed over Winnie the Pooh's antics, I just really loved. And uh, I thought it was a very cute little um, interlacing of those two things. And uh, it's no wonder this was on the New York Times bestseller list for like 49 weeks. And I yeah, think it was definitely... One... What's up? I'm sorry? Yep. What? Yep. You?
1: Oh, no, I was going to say, I definitely thought it was just very cute, which is probably why. I mean, it was, it was short, right? It's relatively short.
0: It's only like 150 pages, yeah. And it's very yes. big text by comparison to most books, so...
1: So it's very cute, very short, very relatable for people because everybody pretty much knows Winnie the Pooh, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a pop culture icon sort of thing. Yes. And then uh, you know, took like a thing that probably most people don't have any um, knowledge about and was like, I'm going to explain it to you through this popular character. We should get we yeah, should get more I, I, there should be more books like that, honestly, It'd I be agree. very I fun. Agree.
0: I'd like to read the second one, which was actually on the New York Times bestseller list for like 59 weeks. It was for even longer than this one. Holy like, shit! Like Ten years later, um, and in fact, the uh, the author Benjamin Hoff in 2006 renounced writing books and publishing books because he was like fed up with the publishing company that he worked with and like the culture around like that whole thing. I don't really know the details of that, but I read up read up on him on his wikipedia article today and it's like the only the only website that publishes anything he writes that he will ever endorse again is his own and like he's like yeah i'm good thanks i've done my part i'm done um and so all he does is like try to make sure that he's able to renew his his copyright and make sure that he still owns his, his 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 ip but yeah he uh i'd really like to read the second one um I'm trying to think. What would other? What would be other good examples of like putting something through the perspective of modern day characters? I don't know. Could you do like Jainism but with Batman?
1: Um. Yeah, <laughs> the guy who punches criminals
0: <laughs> with his bare hands. <laughs> it's Janeism. That's exactly. phenomenal. Batman is a Jain. Believe it or That's not. That's phenomenal. <laughs> He's just sweeping bugs off the street, Ethan. That, that yeah yeah and he wears a mask <laughs> that's phenomenal that doesn't cover his mouth though so it doesn't really apply but yeah i just pulled those two things out of my ass so that that definitely doesn't work uh, oh my But yeah God. i recommend i recommend this little thing to anybody i think it's very cute if you like winnie the pooh it's very neat i like it a lot and uh that's what i read this uh these past two weeks to make up for our our tardiness and uh, the fact that I didn't actually finish one of my books, but I did just late.
1: So. And if you're too lazy to read it, even though it's very short, listen to the audiobook, because it's super fucking cute to hear the guy do all the voices.
0: Is it it's not Benjamin Hoff, is it?
1: No, 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 no. It was it, at least the version I got wasn't. But like, you know, they they tried to do the voices. I wasn't like that doesn't sound like Witty the Pooh.
0: Yeah, well, whatever. You can <laughs> only do so much. You're not you're probably not going to find the original guy. I don't know. He's probably dead. Jesus, Sam. I'm just, I'm just saying. Listen, if we can't talk, if we can't talk candidly about death, can we really talk candidly about anything? Uh, yeah, I think we. Yeah, probably. I reject that. All right, what are you reading for <laughs> next time? Yeah.
1: So I will. I am currently reading because I actually finished a little early, and I started *The Ministry for the Future* by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is a book I've been dying to read since I heard about it. One um, more time.
0: What's it called? The what of the future? The
1: ministry for the future.
0: The ministry for the future. Okay. Yes.
1: So Kim Stanley Robinson's a, pro, you know, a well-known science fiction writer, and this is uh, his latest work, and it is a you know five hundred and eighty-page. It's not like dystopic. It's not like a,
0: because it's like
1: the future where climate change is just beginning to like. Really like the book starts with like a heat wave that is so you're really severe. you're
0: really into this shit now, aren't you? You're preparing, aren't you? are preparing are not you Well, future. This is just the
1: the the a lot of the science fiction books that I've been meaning to read all center around like so this one's recent. The parable for the seller was actually written in the nineties. So yeah. that didn't have any real like this is immediately going to happen sort of thing. But this one mm-hmm. was written recently, so it, it has a lot more like Asimov, like she knew that things were going to go bad, but she didn't know how or how soon or when, or like what was going to happen. Like Kim Stanley Robinson has like much more updated information about climate change and the way the world operates. And um, so he wrote like the book starts with a a heat wave. That's so massive that it kills like 20,000 people in India. Hey, now. So that's a lot. Yeah. And then um, basically all the countries of the world get together and they're like, we need to, you know, make a show of trying to, like, fix this climate change thing. So they craft this organization uh, called the Ministry for the Future so that they can try and, like, basically work on behalf of future generations um, to curb the worst impacts of climate change. But, you know, obviously, like any United Nations committee, they only have the power of those that are willing to submit to the things that they uh advocate
0: no, and i would imagine they're also corrupted by their own influence
1: uh, uh actually that that's not one of the things that's really be- the problem is that like they they all have the politicians they
0: have, are perfect in this in this reality they're
1: not they're not really politicians they're more scientists than anything oh well that's
0: actually good to hear i'm glad to hear that
1: yeah like there a lot of them are like scientists and people who have worked in like antarctica and like you know biology and stuff like that so they're like people who are actually like there's like they, they have a legal person that like you know Uh, knows international law like they're 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 not politicians they're like world renowned people that do it and so but it's like the kind of the struggle between like you know there's people who are willing to enforce certain things violently and then there's this organization that's like please don't do that because you're gonna hurt our agenda which is to try and get these things done legally Mm -hmm. and um i'm only about halfway through but i'm really enjoying it. it the style is so so different from any science fiction that i've read in a while um because like just the difference between from chapter to chapter but like the narrative voice I can't even describe it um I've never seen a, an author do something like what he's doing but I'm really loving it a lot
0: well well slow the fuck down Ethan because I haven't posted the the post yet of that book <laughs> <laughs>
1: well that that'll be that one and then I'm going to follow it up with uh I'm going to keep on this track here and read the sixth extinction great yeah (laughs) well it's it's one that i've had on my shelf for a long time and it's kind of right in vain with uh ministry for the future so i want to you know read read like the fiction version of the non-fiction that i'll follow it up with just so i can kind of get like a little bit more of that i'm not gonna and then after that i'm gonna take a break from like the you know climate change dystopia kind of stuff for a minute before i start like tearing my hair out
0: Indeed. You definitely don't want to uh, give yourself too much a of a dose of the science future. Um, yeah, God
1: forbid I look at the reality of our situation and
0: become... God yeah. forbid. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I will be reading first something that you and our good friend Sydney have been recommending that I read in the hope that she will actually be able to come on as our first ever guest and discuss it with us. I will be reading In Cold Blood by Truman Capote um so what a good book i'm thoroughly looking forward to this because i'm big into true crime and i know you two have been egging me on to read it uh at least when it comes up in conversation and uh i am thoroughly looking forward to it i don't really know anything about the case so i'm i'm that's good going blunt i'm just gonna let this be my my introduction to it um and i'll take your word for it that it's going to be as intense and harrowing as you've made it seem um And I know one of you, I can't remember if it was you or Sid. I think it was you that said you might want to reread it just to discuss it again because you don't remember as much as you might want to. Was that? Um,
1: I mean, I don't remember, like, the specifics of the case. Uh, I remember, like, general stuff about it and, like, the whole, um, I guess, like, way that the book pans out. Sure. She might have said that. Maybe. I have I read it well, like it's her, not it's her that book, long it's her ago book that
0: I'm borrowing. So, I mean, right. I'm thinking she might have read it relatively recently, but she can come on to discuss that with us cuz I know she wanted to come on the podcast and that was a book she was really into, so I figured uh, we could maybe have that happen. Um I don't know if it would just be for that book or not, but you know, we can figure that out. Um and the next one is I'm going to read one that uh, I was apparently supposed to read at some point in high school. Uh, but I did not finish because, well, somebody told me to read it. I'm going to read J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye. And our uh, our friend Sean, I uh, believe he, this is like his favorite book, right? I'm pretty sure he said uh, it. It might
1: song. be. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I also have been told many times
0: to read the book by uh, my fiancé. And, fiance. I, and I you I haven't? I have a copy. No, I haven't.
1: I just haven't gotten around to it yet.
0: You actually don't have a copy because I have it.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> well, so no, technically I have, have a
1: copy, copy, but, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, apparently, you know, I'll let you know if it's worth reading. Um, I don't know. It probably <laughs> wouldn't it probably wouldn't be picked for for public school reading if it didn't have some merit to it, but then again, they also told us to read The Scarlet Letter, which I thought was true. I was going to
1: say they they've definitely told us to read some shit that I feel like we probably could have gone without.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. Um, but really, you're, she's telling you to read it?
1: Who, am my fiance? Yeah. Yeah, she's told me to read it before. She says something that I probably might enjoy reading.
0: All right, well, I don't know. I, from what I remember, it's just kind of a, a whiny little shit complaining for most of the
1: book. Well, I mean, but, I'm a whiny little shit, I complain. That's
0: what I, fair enough, fair enough. That's what I said to, <laughs> that's what I said to Sean, and he was like, no, nah, man, it ties together more. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever, I'll read it. Um, so... <laughs> In in the in the event that uh, Sydney wants to reread *In Cold Blood* just to prepare, if she's available next Sunday or two Sundays from now for our next episode, I will be reading that one first and then *The Catcher in the Rye*. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'll be doing. Anything else on the itinerary, my friend, or uh, is that that I can that think of?
1: That might be a wrap for today. I can't All think right. of anything did you, else. Did you finish your beverage? I did. I did. It was quite good. Yeah. I finished it about Indeed. twenty minutes ago.
0: Yeah, just about me too, and I think I'm uh, I'm 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 all worn out from the sun from today. So I think I'm probably actually Ooh. just gonna go right to bed. Yeah, um, the sun really takes it out of you. Oh, it sure does. Um, and it gave me a beautiful tan. Hopefully, eventually. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'm gonna kick Craig out now. Mm, mm, mm. Actually, Goodbye, before we stop, before we stop, oh. hang on, real quick. I just, cause you sent me like when we first started this, like the, the thing about like the, the format that you wanted to go through.
1: Yeah. Um, which we have barely been following, but yes.
0: No, no. I mean, we pretty much followed it, right? We did introduction. Yeah. We converted. got, we, we got
1: our, we got our format down.
0: Yeah. Oh, I guess, I guess we should maybe start maybe, I don't know, just plugging like our little, our little accounts. Cause we haven't actually ever mentioned the accounts that we have in case anybody. Yeah. Started. I mean, if you want to,
1: if you want to plug anything and then put like the links in the, In the show notes, like, feel free to. I'm not going to be plugging any of my writing yet just because I'm kind of still working on that stuff right now. I've kind of taken a a long pause on that kind of thing. But, yeah,
0: I I mean, like, so uh, if anybody happens to discover this podcast without going through our Instagram account or anything like that, uh, we are at the Boozy Book Club podcast on Instagram. And we post all of our new books that we're reading and we announce when a new episode's come out, uh, which is every other Monday. and uh, what's the other one? Oh, yeah, we have uh, what's our email? Oh, god, uh, the, oh. Boozy, <laughs> the boozy book club podcast at gmail.com. So it's the same account name. And so, if you maybe have any book recommendations, uh, the five of you that are listening, um, <laughs> five that's generous, week, we'd be happy to receive them. Um, and I don't know anything else that you might want to tell us about, uh, but yeah, follow us on Instagram, email us any neat book recommendations, or maybe I don't know if you're just some guy that's or girl that or anybody else that's like, Hey, read my book. And I'm like, all right, sure. That sounds interesting. I'll do that. Uh, but yeah, more importantly, follow us on Instagram because I say so. Um, and that's, (laughs) uh, that's, that's all there is to that. Um, I'm going to force Craig out now because he's done recording. So, uh, that's bye for me. That is bye for me as well. And we will all talk soon. We will all talk soon. Goodbye.